Welcome to The Raw Roast, where we have real conversations about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. My name is Ben Tyvel, and I'm your host this week. Today, I'm excited to welcome uh, my good friend and colleague, uh, Pastor Tucker Anderson. He's our uh, Roseville campus pastor. And Tucker, this is usually the chair you're sitting in, uh, kind of as host. So I'm looking forward today to be sitting in this chair and actually kind of interviewing you. I, there's a depth to you that I think uh, some have gotten a chance to see if they've been around you or have had a class with you or, you know, have just been able to have conversations with you. But, um, you know, I think part of what I'm looking forward to is having our listeners kind of hear from your heart and God has certainly gifted you uh, in a lot of different ways. And one of those I think is, you know, just the ability that he's given you to understand and communicate. And so, you know, no pressure today as you, as we talk about uh, uh, grief and, and exile and really just the passage that you were able to preach on this last Sunday. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, I, just as a way of getting to know you a little bit, uh, again, there might be some listeners who don't know you real well, and I think it'd be kind of fun to have them hear a little bit about you. And so you, you can have, uh, kind of, you could decide what it is that you want to share, but, uh, do you want to talk just a little bit about, you know, who you are, your family, maybe a little bit of your background? Uh, yeah. Well, it feels weird saying this, but it's, thanks for having me on the show (laughs) today. You're welcome. Um, well, I appreciate, uh, your introduction, Ben. Um, you know, I feel likewise you're a great friend and uh, it's fun to work with you on staff here at Calvary. And, uh, you know, we've been on staff, I think, for six years, close yeah, to it anyways, together. Yep. Um, so we've gotten to know each other quite well over the years. And um, I, uh, you know, my, my story, I came to faith in Christ when I was in uh, fifth grade. And um, for our listeners, don't worry, I'll do a, a very, <laughs> I'll do a 50,000 foot view. He's starting in <laughs> fifth grade. <laughs> this might take a while. That's okay. Um, yeah, I came to faith in Christ when I was in fifth grade. I got involved in um, uh, a ministry, uh, a high, the high school version of Crew um, in, in high school. And at that point, felt called to ministry. And uh, that ultimately led to uh, Bethel and the biblical studies at Bethel. And part, for part of my time, I studied at Jerusalem University College. I did two semesters there in undergrad, and it was really there where I felt like I uh, really gained a passion. I always had a passion for biblical studies, but it was there that really took it to the next level. So, you know, if you've been in a in a class with me, or you know, even this past Sunday, if you heard the message, um, you'll know that I like to share a lot of pictures uh, from my time yeah. there. And I just think it for me, it, it it's uh, it helps. Um, there's might be a little bit of a nostalgic element to that, but. Um, I do think it helps to illustrate the biblical text and uh, to show those pictures. Yeah. But, so while I was an undergrad, I, I studied there and uh, just loved, uh, fell in love with biblical history and archaeology and geography. Um, so then went on to Bethel Seminary and um, did my uh, MDiv there and graduated in 2015. And then um, just recently uh, finished a doctor ministry program at, at Southern Seminary down in Louisville, or Louisville, however you yeah. want to pronounce it. And it was what there. was your focus there? My focus there was on how the Old Testament, how the New Testament uses the Old Testament, and um, I, uh, I think that we could we could 
that could kind of be a subset of a larger theme known as uh, a larger discipline known as biblical theology. I think that it's uh, one of the more underexplored areas areas of biblical studies in the within the church and its application for the church. Um, it's a theme that we touch on every once in a while, but I think that um, I think there's much to be mined, much to explore when it comes to how the New Testament uses the old, and I think there's a lot of application that can be drawn out of that for our own lives. Hmm. Um, so my uh, before coming to Calvary, I was down at uh, Grace Church in Eden Prairie and met my wife Aaliyah there. Uh, we met in the young adults group, so young adult ministry has a, a special place in my my heart as well. And um, we have two girls. We have uh, Myra, who is five, and Ella, who is three, and hmm. have about as opposite personalities as you can <laughs> as you can, uh, you possibly uh, possibly imagine, but um, it's just been a it's been a joy to have two girls and yeah. Um, you know why God does that, right? I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't either. But <laughs> I, it, it keeps you on your toes. Well, though, it definitely it? keeps you on your toes. That's yeah. for sure. And it keeps you humble. I think, you know, in a lot of ways. You know, I I grew up with two sisters, and so I I almost I honestly was a little bit nervous about the prospect of having a son. Just because mm. it's it would have been a new experience for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've always, uh, yeah, having two, you know, two sisters, and you're used to that. Just used to that environment. I mean, yeah. So, um, a lot of dance recitals growing up. Nice. And, um, That's good. Yeah. So I, you know, I would say uh, right now one of my my primary area of interest would be. Sort of along the lines of what I preached on on Sunday of how, okay. how, how the New Testament uses the old and what's the application that we can draw um, and seeing those connections for our own lives today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate your gift and the way that you, the way that it, that it comes out when you're given that opportunity to preach or teach or just even in conversation. I think you did a great job on Sunday as well with a difficult passage uh, a special preaching. thanks to Sean for giving me yeah. the <laughs> for Pastor Sean for giving me the passage on the the death of the boys in Bethlehem. Yeah. <laughs> so Matthew two, verses sixteen to eighteen, and this is where you know King Herod realizes uh, you know that the wise men have have outwitted him, and he decides to send soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. And yeah, just a, a difficult passage. I mean, I think for a lot of reasons, just based on, you know, I mean, this time of year when we are celebrating the birth of Christ, mm -hmm. we don't always hold, you know, some of the, the reality of what all was happening around that time mm -hmm. and what came with that. And certainly it was celebration and it was, it was all of what we, uh, you know, I think point to and, and kind of hold up during this season as far as joy and um, just a fulfillment of promise. And mm -hmm. um, just it was a very uh, good thing, you know, that for that's a that's an understatement. Mm -hmm. But with that came uh, some pretty intense hardship as well for many. But so you um, preach from this passage and Matthew, you know, references Jeremiah 31, 15 and, mm -hmm. uh, and is doing something with that. And you, so that, that's a big part of, again, what you, 
what you did on Sunday was working to try to help us understand what is Matthew doing? Why is he Mm -hmm. going back and, you know, referencing the prophet Jeremiah? And so would you be willing to just talk a little bit about that? I mean, folks can go and listen to your sermon as well, which I would encourage you to do. Just go to our website and, uh, you know, go to our sermon page and listen. But uh, maybe for our listeners, you can recap a little yeah, so let me let me back up before we even get to this passage in Jeremiah and the fulfillment that Matthew references in Matthew two sixteen to eighteen. So Matthew, uh, it was written to a, a, a Jewish uh, Christian audience. Yep. So that's the specific audience that he has in mind. Um, so that's important to consider, especially when we are coming to the text and wanting to interpret the text and what what Matthew means. Um, <clears throat> he's probably writing. Uh, probably from Antioch, which is in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. Um, and uh, there was a large Jewish Christian population there in the uh, time that Matthew was writing. And so a couple of features that we see in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, right out of the gate, Matthew chapters 1 and 2, um, if you have a Bible that maybe italicizes Old Testament quotations or puts them uh, in bold, uh, bold type, You'll notice that you see a lot of quotations right away in Matthew's chapter, uh, Matthew chapters 1 and 2. Um, you also see quotations in chapter 3. You'll see chapter 4. Um, and then he sort of dials it back a little bit as far as specific quotations. But he doesn't dial back his use of the Old Testament. And that's an important thing that we need to keep in mind. So Matthew, in some sense, front loads this gospel with very direct quotations to clue the reader in to know how to read the rest of his gospel as well. When we get to the end of the gospel around the crucifixion, we'll see more quotations from the Old Testament again. And we see a few in the middle as well. Um, so that's, he's cluing us in to know how to read his gospel, but I would also say to know how to approach the Old Testament as well. And if you're, uh, uh, you know, for readers that want to do a deeper dive into this, there's, um, uh, it's more of an academic book, but a book that I would recommend, it's called Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels by uh, Richard Hayes. Uh, who passed away a few years ago, but um, it's a good thorough treatment of how the Gospels, each one of them, uses the Old Testament. So we come to a passage like Matthew chapter 2, 16 to 18, and in verse 18 in particular, uh, we see that quotation from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. And one of the things I highlighted in my message is, you go to Jeremiah 31, 15, and it's actually not a prophecy about anything in connection with the Messiah. It's not a prophecy around the birth of Jesus. It's not a prophecy even about the slaughter of the boys in Bethlehem. And so the thing I wanted to do to highlight in the message is ask that question, well, why is Matthew using it? Um, And I think it's very profound the way Matthew uses this quotation. Uh, So what I argued in the message is that uh, and this comes from um, the Expositor's Bible Commentary. D.A. Carson highlights this in his commentary there. Um, he says that the crying of of the boy or the crying of the mothers in Bethlehem around the death of the boys is, in some sense, the last cry of exile. So we see that mm. Rachel is weeping for her children who are going into exile. Her children a thousand years later, um, she's weeping because as she says, they are no more. So her concern is that the people of God have come to nothing. Um, and Matthew sees the end of exile, not with the return of those who are in Babylon to Judah, but he sees the end of exile actually with the coming of Jesus. Hmm. 
And so he uses this passage to highlight that the crying of exile, this is like the last cry of exile before the coming of Messiah. Mm. So that's, um, we could flesh it out even more, but that's one of the primary reasons why I think uh, Matthew's using Jeremiah 31.15 in this context. Okay. So, one verse, yeah, go ahead. Well, so um, that it's also important to note that we look around and we still see, uh, you know, we, we wake up and we, you know, I don't watch the news or read the news anymore uh, for a very good reason. It's just, it's very depressing. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we're reminded every day that the effects of exile still are very much a reality for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's, yes, the exile came to an end in the person of Jesus, but we still see the effects as we await the fullness of, of his kingdom. Yeah. And that's some of where you went with application, right, with this. I think, you know, if we shift a little bit into that that space of taking a passage like this and you know, asking the question, okay, this is uh, what Matthew is doing. This is his audience. Mm-hmm. He's pulling from the prophet Jeremiah, which doesn't, like you're saying, have any like direct connection to, um, you know, what, to what he's referencing here, except for he's saying, uh, this is a representation of the last, you know, the, the, the last cry of exile Mm -hmm. right before Jesus comes and Mm -hmm. ultimately through, through exile creates a way back Mm -hmm. home, right? Creates a, a way for a reestablished, um, relationship with God, the father, how, so moving into this place of application for us today, what we're, and you had some good application points, but mm-hmm. now maybe having a little bit more time yeah. or space to flesh those out a little bit more, what would you say, you know, to us at, yeah. uh, and to the listeners here? What do we, so what do we do in response to this? Yeah. So this is where I think that, that, uh, uh, that topic of biblical theology and seeing the connection between the New Testament and Old Testament, um, can really bear a lot of fruit for application. Mm-hmm. So, one of the ways that we can think of, like in this case, Matthew using the Old Testament, we can think of it as like a doorway into the larger overall narrative shape of Scripture. Yeah. And one of that, one of the key themes that we see running throughout the entirety of Scripture, uh, and I, I showed a Bible Project video um, that um, I think does a fantastic job of highlighting that overall theme of mm-hmm. exile. But we see the exile beginning back in the garden. Yeah. And ultimately, coming to an end in uh, the book of Revelation, when we see that God and humanity are finally uh, reunited mm-hmm. in the way that it was intended in the very beginning. Um, so if we come to a passage like this in Matthew and the fulfillment of Jeremiah, and we view this as a window into this larger narrative, this larger story, we can ask ourselves the question, well, what is Matthew trying to teach us? as the reader, as the listener, about this larger story. And if that big idea is that exile is coming to an end in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, then that makes us ask the question. We have to ask the question, well, what, what, what does that mean for our lives today? Yeah. And so what is, the, what is Matthew pushing back on? What is Matthew pushing back on in terms of what those, those other things that we grasp and seek after to try to make exile come to an end in our lives. 
So we don't describe it as exile, but I think the Bible would describe the the brokenness of creation, the brokenness we experience in our own lives as a form of exile. So we could ask ourselves, like, well, what are the things that I try to do to um, numb the effects of exile in my life? So in the in the message, I tried to to draw. Well, it could be through um, materialism. You know, I try to fill that void in my life through, you know, getting the, you know, I, I'm still on like the iPhone seven, you know, I'm like, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> As an Apple guy, that surprises me. Yeah. I'm a, I'm an, I'm a big Apple guy, but I'm still on the iPhone seven and, you know, I would love the new 13, yeah. but I know that's not going to fill a void in my life. You know, I think we, we can think of other things too. Like we, we think that that one person is going to fill the void in my life. So I, yeah, relationships. You know, I crave marriage. You know, I crave sure. certain relationships. Um, medication might be another one. You know, I think medication certainly has a place. Mm-hmm. Um, but medication can also be um, used in an unhealthy way, too. Yeah. Um, and so ask our, we, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we trying to numb the effects of exile yeah. um, by seeking after things apart from Christ? Um yeah, and, and so I think, well, yeah. Well, so you're using the term exile, and as you are are using it, I, I think you're you are describing it kind of as you as you talk. But can you just speak mm-hmm. a little bit more specifically about what do you actually mean by exile? Yeah, because I mean, again, Matthew's when he references Jeremiah, he's that that's a different that's a different kind of exile. Like yeah. the Israelites were literally, you know, um, from an yeah, from a literal physically piece of, dislocated. Yeah, physically dislocated from the land that uh, was promised to them. Yeah, uh, and I uh, so we're making that leap yeah. right from uh, from what Matthew's referencing Jeremiah uh, in, yeah. and then as we try to apply it, we're using that same term for our lives today. So yeah, how do we make that leap faithfully? Yeah. Maybe is what I'm hearing you yeah. saying. Well, I think Matthew actually begins to make that leap for us. So another passage I, I used in my message was uh, Matthew one seventeen, where he sort of gives a recount of the, the genealogy. Uh, he says, um, Matthew one seventeen. so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 mm. generations. And I, uh, in my message, I called out that he doesn't actually mention a return, um, a return from exile physically, uh, and this is uh, this was pointed out to me by Janine Brown uh, in her commentary. Janine teaches at uh, at Bethel Seminary, mm-hmm. um, and a fantastic commentary on this passage. But she notes that he doesn't actually call out a return, a physical return. Matthew doesn't here in this passage. To make a theological point that exile ultimately comes to an end in the person of Christ. So even though they had physically returned, I think Matthew is showing that even though they physically returned, they still were in a sense in exile. Right. Um, because this is actually part of a larger human condition. And we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve are cast from the garden. They're cast from God's presence. Yeah. And they're cast eastward. They're cast in the way of exile. So exile... If we could think about it as being, uh, in some sense, broken relationships. Yeah. Can think about it as a broken relationship, a severed relationship with God. It's, yeah. And that includes broken relationships then with others, 
includes mm-hmm. a broken relationship with ourself, um, and it includes a broken relationship with creation as well. Um, you know, the I think the book um, "When Helping Hurts" uh, mm. does a really good job of highlighting that fallenness and sinfulness, in many ways, is summed up in in these broken relationships that that we experience. So we can think of exile then as broken relationships. It's severed with God. It's broken with one another. It's broken with ourselves. And it's broken with creation. And then we see the effects of this this brokenness um, in our day-to-day lives. Um, the Bible talks about this as exile. Yeah. Um, maybe not a physical exile, but it, in many ways as a spiritual exile. Uh, and so if we trace that theme throughout Scripture, we see that and I think what Matthew's doing is showing us that that kind of exile um, only comes to an end in the person of Jesus. Mm. So I don't know. Does that? I don't know if that answers yeah, your question. It does. No, oh, it's good. That makes the connection well. So then, when we think about, as you were beginning to reflect on some of the different examples of ways in which our our own spiritual exile, you know, that we that we have in our in our lives between us and and God the Father, mm-hmm. even if uh, even if we've surrendered our life to Christ, yeah. have the Spirit living in us, there's still this pull toward, in a sense, toward exile or toward, um, you know, wanting to create a way to f- to fulfill the void, yeah. you know, in our own hearts, in our lives, on, on our own. Yeah, and to, and I think that is the continued uh, pull that we all experience. Yeah. And, you know, I think surrender is a continued theme you know, that we see throughout scripture in, I think in many ways that seems to be, uh, you know, one of the main, um, one of the main answers for how it is that we find our way back home mm-hmm. and home ultimately being in right relationship, Yeah, you know, with God, the father. And so I, Make, yeah, making a little bit of a shift in this conversation. There's, you know, during during this time of Advent, during you know during the holiday season, uh, as we you know are approaching again the the celebrating of the birth of Christ, the end yeah. the end of exile. Uh, again, these are these are themes that have a lot of hope yeah. attached to them, and at the same time, again, even going back to the passage that that you preached from. There's also a, a great deal of of hardship attached to this mm-hmm. and grief, and you know you spent some time during your message kind of touching on on that the reality yeah. and the theme of grief during a time like this. Yeah, and so when we look at you know for many of us who are uh, who, who go who come into the Christmas season who are going through the Christmas season, it's a mixed bag of, of emotions and experience mm-hmm. based on, you know, uh, hardship loss. And so there's grief often associated with this time, I think for many. Yeah. I'm wondering if you might speak a little bit to that as well. How do we, you know, even though Matthew might not be specifically doing anything with grief in this passage, it in a way kind of highlights the reality. It certainly speaks to it. Of, of grief. Yeah, I think we view the we view the the birth of Christ often through the lens of cardboard cutouts and Christmas pageants. Yeah, and it becomes sort of this fairy tale. Mm-hmm. But 
it's, you know, the killing of 20, you know, 20 boys or so in Bethlehem is, um, I mean, beyond traumatic. I mean, yeah. if you're living in that village, I mean, that would have been devast- absolutely devastating. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, the Christmas story is, in some sense, uh, tragedy is woven right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think we often want from the Bible is we want nice, neat categories, and it just doesn't give us that sometimes. Right. Um, we want a, we want a, um, we want to put things in compartments so that we can easily understand it. And the Bible often holds things in tension. <clears throat> so I think it does a couple of things for us when we're going through through grief, through sadness. Um, it holds out great hope for us because in the midst of, you know, the essence of the Christmas story is the goodness of the gospel of what God has done for us in Christ. Um, in the midst of intense tragedy and tremendous suffering as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing it does, the, what the Bible does is it gives us the language to know how to grieve. Um, okay. You know, we we could look at. Um, you referenced one of the psalms earlier in our conversation, yeah, Psalm, psalm 13. thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we could go to the Book of Lamentations. We could, you know, we could look at Jeremiah as we just did. Yeah. Um, we could look at Psalm eighty-eight. You know, one of, actually one of my favorite psalms, hmm. because the end of very end of Psalm eighty-eight, it's the only psalm in the entire Psalter that ends in a negative note, with a negative note. It ends hmm. with the actual in Hebrew. It actually ends with the word darkness. Um, and it gives us the permission to grieve and to come to God with our raw emotions, our real experiences, and also trust that, you know what, there's nothing that's going to surprise God with uh, our emotions that Mm -hmm. we come to him with. Right. And so, um, I think I would encourage our listeners to know that, um, grief is, it's an important thing, um, and the Bible gives us the language to know how to grieve well. Yeah, um, and grieve authentically. I would say that's good. Um, you know, this is you know the Christmas season is I think in particular particularly challenging for my wife. I mean her her mom passed away uh, a few years ago, and you know it's it comes it comes with mixed emotions because yeah. you know one sense we. We want to, we want to create a special experience for our girls. Yeah. Um, but in that, with the desire to create a special experience, you you know that your mom or mother in law is not going to be there. Right. As well. So. Yeah. Like our life, we we hold things in tension. Oh, that's right. Uh, right. It's just it's not we don't we we don't have the nice night categories, and um, I love the fact that the Bible is brutally honest, mm-hmm. and that it doesn't. Hold thing. It holds things in ten. It holds things in tension. It right. doesn't put things in nice, neat categories. Yeah, I think that's a great way to to explain it. Uh, when I'm thinking about grief, when I think about uh, you know another word, you mentioned the Book of Lamentations. Obviously, lament is is a huge theme that we see throughout the scriptures, uh, certainly in the Psalms as well. You mentioned Psalm 13. Uh, but again, like you said, it gives both language 
And then also just, you know, I mean, another way to say that is just a, like a model, you know, it's, there's an encouragement and almost a, a permission yeah. given to say it, it's, it's okay. And it's actually not just okay. It's a part of the human experience that you would bring your struggles, your difficulties to God. You know, yeah. it's the, the point is that, uh, not that you go throughout life trying to ignore and, and resist the struggle and pain that mm-hmm. come, but it's to actually, um, you know, meet it head on in a lot of ways and to take, yeah. to take that experience of pain and to bring it before God yeah. and be honest, you know, bring that complaint. And in the Psalm, a lot of Psalms, a lot of times what we see from David that he'll bring the complaint, he'll bring the struggle and he'll ask, he'll, he'll ask boldly for help. You know, he'll say, uh, you know, he'll, he'll make the recognition of, of what is going on. So there's that brutal honesty. Uh, but then he asks for God to interve- intervene. Mm-hmm. And I think in that is, there's also a choosing. There's a choosing to trust God in the midst of what he's experiencing. And so again, yeah. that's a, a good model for us that God isn't asking us to um, to ignore what we're going through or what mm-hmm. we're experiencing. He's not saying suppress it. He's not saying act like it's not there. Yeah. Act as if everything is fine. Hey, you're a Christian. You should always be joy filled. You should always have hope. You yeah. know, I think, I think the call is to, is to come, you know, come all those who are weary and burdened and, and I will, I will give you what you need. I will give you the rest yeah. And the peace that you need in the midst of what you're walking through. So there's not even the promise that he'll take it away. The promise is that he will be with you through through the difficulty, through the grief. Well, yeah, I think you say it so well, Ben. I think it's the it's the recognition, um, you know, to use the the words from the the book of Revelation that ultimately God is the one who will one day wipe away every here mm. um, it's good that we ourselves can't ultimately wipe away our tears um, that ultimately that comes in the new creation comes when when Christ himself wipes away every tear and that's something that we look forward to it's something that we hope for it's something yeah. that we long for and because it's something we long for we have to recognize that it's something that we experience today. We still experience tears. Um, but the Bible doesn't leave us, doesn't leave us without hope. Um, it's a, it's a deposit at Christmas, uh, and a guarantee for the future. Right. That one day every tear will be ultimately wiped away. Yeah. You know, for Christians, I think grieving and lamenting, uh, the only way to, to, to do that in a way that ends with hope is by placing our trust in him. It's by holding to that truth that you just talked about. Yeah. Uh, the truth that, you know, one day this is all going to be right. Yeah. And I don't think there's a way to lament or grieve with hope apart from Christ. Yeah. And so again, that's where we, we rest in this season is, you know, that, during this Advent season, the celebration of 
the coming Messiah, uh, and you know the the end of exile, yeah, and the promise that one day uh, every tear will be right wiped away and all will be made right. Yeah, and so we we cling to that. We cling to that hope, and uh, we I also I think carry the the burden that somebody in our lives does not yet have that hope. And God is calling us to share that. Yeah. So that's with immediate family for sure. Kids, family members, but it's also with uh, someone that you're going to come into contact with Mm -hmm. this week and and or next week, you know, leading up to this Christmas season. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're listening to ask the Holy Spirit, uh, who it is in your life that, uh, that God is wanting you to reach out to and, and to share this hope connected to the, the reality and the tension of, Hey, I, I know life stuff. I know things are, are bad right now, or that, you know, you're grieving or that it's a struggle. Uh, but there, there is hope in the midst of this. And so I, I trust that God is bringing that person in your path or has already brought that person in your path. So God, give us the, uh, Give us the strength, the wisdom, the the words, mm. uh, and, and the ears, you know, to hear as well as folks share, and as we can meet people in the midst of that. So, Tucker, I appreciate you coming Thank you, on. Ben. This has been fun this uh, morning. A good conversation, and uh, I hope it's been a, a benefit to those listening. Well, it has been for me. Uh, if if they've gotten this far, if they've stayed with us all the way through, they know that we've ended with hope, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm sure there are some faithfuls that have stayed with us all the way through, but it, it has been. It's been good to uh, connect with you this morning, hear a little bit more about what God's doing in your life, and just get to share in the gift that God's given you, uh, and you know through the experiences that you have, and. Uh, just the unique way that he's uh, given you uh, to deep dive into scripture and to communicate God's truth. So thanks, Tucker. Oh, thank you, Ben. Well, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit us at calvarychurch.us. You can also check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. And we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. So until next time, I want to encourage you to live a life of love for God and neighbor.